We ended last Sunday's sermon with a question, and I want to begin this morning's message with the same question. Paul began in verse 21 with those two wonderful words, but now. And I ask you, and I, last week, and I ask you again this morning, is there a but now moment in your life where you say, I was a sinner, <laughs> but now I'm saved. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was blind, but now I see. Is there a moment in your life where you saw your sinfulness? You saw the depravity of your own heart. You saw that there was no way, no hope apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And you cried out to him and said, Lord, save me. And I'll promise you, if you do that, he will say, done, Amen. done. And this is what Paul here in Romans, that's why he, he, he spent a, a chapter and a half, two and a half chapters talking about the vileness of our sin and, and how we, there is none who seeks after God. There is none who is righteous. All, he says here uh, in, in verse 23, have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. But not all people recognize that. Not all people accept that. And so Paul, in verse 21, after he says all of these things, we are without excuse. The, right, the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Some have called chapter 3, verses 21 through 31, the very heart of the Bible. Everything the Bible talks about, Paul sums up in these verses. In all life and history, there is nothing more important than the, the teachings that we are sinners lost under the wrath of God, but now God has manifested His righteousness in Jesus Christ. But who, even among God's people, really appreciate what Paul's saying here? Ours is an age... When people are self-absorbed, they're, they're focused on immediate gratification. We want what we want, and we want it right now. And we want it the way we want it, how we want it, and nothing else matters. We tend to evaluate <clears throat> any religious teaching according to what my present need might be. Listen, folks, according to the Bible, we only have one need. That's right, a Savior. We, we need a Savior. You know, Jesus, during His earthly ministry, 
he was a wonderful teacher. But he didn't come to be a teacher. He healed many people, raised one from the dead, raised three from the dead. But he didn't come to be a healer. He came to be a savior. Because you can hear all the teaching and you can watch all the miracles, but if you don't have life, if you don't have one who has saved you, then it means nothing. So here in verses 21 through 24, Paul lays out some great truths of the gospel. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All and, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There is only one thing that truly matters in life. Whether you are in Christ or outside of Christ. There are only two people in this planet. Those who are in Christ and those who are outside of Christ. And that's it. Those who are lost and those who are saved. But Paul says here that God has provided a righteousness of his own for men and women, a righteousness that we do not possess ourselves. All our good deeds, all our good works, all our righteousness, the prophet tells us, are like filthy rags in the sight of God. This right here is at the very heart of the word of God. It's at the very heart of of the gospel that you and I in order to enter into the presence of God we need a righteousness that is not our own and God has provided it that's when Paul says there in verse 21 that, that this righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law apart from my good works apart from me trying to earn it apart from me trying to, to, to keep a law that I can't but it was manifested in the Lord Jesus Christ this is a righteousness that is both of God and from God. There at the cross, there are some who refer to what took place as a great exchange. Jesus, the, the very Son of God, the sinless Son of God, hung in open shame, naked, before the whole world. And the wrath of God was poured out upon him there. My sin was laid on him. Your sin was laid on him. By the way, you know who laid it there, right? God did. God is the one who crucified his son. God is the one who laid our sin on him. But, but he did more than that. To all who would look to him, to all who would believe, not only did he take our sin, but he gives us his righteousness. Everything that God demands, God provides. So this righteousness is both of God. It's the righteousness of God. It's his very righteousness. And it comes from him to us. Before, 
We did not have any truly adequate way of understanding what this righteousness is like. But now, Paul says, in Christ we know. He was born of a virgin. That is so very important. Because being born of a virgin means that he was born without sin. Now there was nothing special about the virgin. The special was about the child. But he was born without sin. He lived a perfect life. He went through, he obeyed the law of God fully. He, see, he himself said, I did not come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill it. And he was crucified in our place. And we see the righteousness of God in Christ. And Paul is teaching that, that God is the source of this righteousness. And that it is Jesus Christ, that God in Christ, that God makes it available to us. I know we read this last week, but don't you turn with me again to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> Beginning with verse 7, Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. But listen, I love verse 9. And be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. I used to have a preacher friend that had a sign in his office of that verse right there. It said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. I told him one day, I said, you need to read that verse because you're missing a very important part of it. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. But the point that Paul, Paul says there in verse 9, and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own through the law, but having a righteousness of Christ. And this, what Paul says here in Romans, is what God has provided for us. This, 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 when Paul says that there is none who seeks after God, when he says all have sinned, they were all without excuse. Paul says, look, in our present condition, without Christ, we are doomed. There is no hope. Except one place. And that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is His righteousness rather than our own that we need. And apart from Him, we might compare ourselves to one another. And have an utterly inadequate idea of the holiness that God requires. I've talked about this before. You, you, you may say, well, you know, I, you, I, I may not be the best person in the world, but at least I'm better than Bobby Baker. And you're probably right. But I got news for you. Bobby Baker is not the standard by which God will judge you. Jesus is the standard. 
Jesus is. And this is why it's important that we understand the holiness of God and what it is that God requires of us. And and we look at ourselves and say, I, I may say, well, you know, at least I'm not as bad as some other people. But Paul says, yes, you are, (laughs) just in a different way, maybe. But all sin. Salvation is a gift, and it is a ground on which the saved will ascribe all their praise to God for saving them. You realize that, right? That you will not boast in the presence of God. You will not boast. I want to talk more about that here in a minute. But notice that he talks about apart from the law. These ideas need to be held together. And and they need to be remembered in everything we say about our inability to attain righteousness by ourselves. And about the way God has provided it for us through the finished work of Christ. Let me tell you something, folks. Not only can we not attain the righteousness we need on our own. We don't even want to. Not only do we have an inability, we have an unwillingness. You remember what Paul said? There's none who seeks after God. Nobody has ever woke up one morning and said, you know what, today I'm going to find out how to be righteous. You know what, today I'm going to find out who God really is. Nobody's ever done that. Except first, the Spirit of God moves in their hearts. And apart from the law, Paul says, and we believe in the finished work of Christ, Paul says that this righteousness is manifested apart from the law. This doesn't mean that the law has no value, as we're going to talk about later on. But if we could be saved by the law, the law would save us. But we can't, and it won't. The law was not given to save us. The law was given to point us uh, to the Savior to show us that we need this. And on our own, we cannot keep the law. If the law is to have any benefit for us, it must be by enabling us to see our inability to satisfy the standards of God by our own efforts and point us to Christ. Look at verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The law points us. This is where Paul is trying to lead, to point everything toward Jesus Christ. In Christ, God has provided a righteousness that we could never achieve on our own, that we could never have. Listen, this is so very important. We can say this over and over and over and over because there are some of you sitting here today, I'll promise you, that you're trusting in your own righteousness to get you into heaven. You're thinking, well, I'm a good person. I'm nice to my neighbors. I treat my spouse all right. I pay my taxes. What's God got against me? I'm a pretty good person. And I'll promise you there are some that are listening right now that are in that shape who are thinking, you know what? I'm a church member. I go to church every Sunday. I carry a Bible. I pray. I give. And I want to tell you something, folks. You can do all of that and die and spend eternity in hell. Because that is not where righteousness is found. It is only found in surrendering and giving ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, God has provided that righteousness that we can never achieve ourselves. 
God's righteousness is to be received by faith apart from any human doing whatsoever. Apart from anything that I do. Now, of course, once we're saved, we have an obligation and a privilege of doing very much since Christ calls us to discipleship. But, but the, we, we must understand that we are not saved by our works, but we are saved to do good works. Just like you don't get baptized to be saved. You get baptized because you're saved. And we work and we live for Christ, not in order for Him to save us, not in order to please Him, not in order to have His acceptance, but because we already have it. And it's vitally important to examine ourselves to see if we're really trusting Christ and what He's done, or whether we're trusting in what we suppose we can do. Where is your trust this morning? If you this morning were to, to find yourself standing in the presence of a holy God and he says to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Well, Lord, I was a church member. He'll say so. Well, Lord, I carried a big, thick study Bible. <laughs> and he'll say so. Lord, I was baptized. So? Sorry. But that doesn't get it. But if you stand there and you say, and you point, and you say, because of Christ, because I trust Him, because He bore my sins, because He's my Savior, He's my Lord, and He'll say, welcome, my child. Enter into the joy so it's important that we understand and examine ourselves. What are you trusting in this morning? This is where Paul is pointing. He, say, he, he has already shown the sinfulness of man, the depths of our depravity, to the point to where three times says God gave them up. He gave them over. Paul says, you want to know how to be saved? He says, you can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can never be good enough. But there's one who was. There's one who is. And this is the one we're pointed to. So we need to examine ourselves and see where we are. But because of the hardness of our hearts, we rebel at the thought of throwing ourselves entirely upon the grace and the mercy of God. We are taught all of our lives, if you want anything in life, you got to work for it. And we translate that into this. And it doesn't work. It may be true in life, but it's not true in salvation. But many people, your hearts are hardened. And you say, surely God must value my goodness for something. But he doesn't. We say, surely God must look at me and say, you know, oh, so-and-so right there, they're trying. They did the best they could. And I want to tell you something, folks. The best you can do will push you straight through the gates of hell. And this is where Paul's pointing us. 
We say, surely my good works count for something in being saved. And God says, no, they don't. And we're going to see here at the end why they don't. We're going to see why. <clears throat> but this is what makes Christianity unique. If salvation is by the gift of God, apart from human effort, we can be saved now. I know someone who claims to be saved, claims to be a Christian, but they say that it's impossible for us to know right now if we're truly saved or not. That when we stand before God, He will evaluate our life and tell us, okay, you made it, or you didn't. That's nonsense. You know, that's what Islam teaches. Islam teaches that one day you'll stand before uh, Allah and He will weigh your good against your bad. Well, I want to tell you something, folks. I want you to imagine that this is a set of scales. This is your good. This is your bad. No matter what happens, the scale will always be like this. Always. It will never move. So we need to understand we can be saved now. It is only in Christianity that this future element moves into the presence. And the reason it can is that salvation is not based on our daily or our ability to accumulate good works before God. To be acceptable before God. But rather it is predicated on what God has already done. Over 2,000 years ago, the Son of God hung on a Roman cross. He bore our sins. When He was done, He said, It is finished. Tetelestai. It is done. It is accomplished. What was He talking about? What was done? What was finished? I'm reminded of John the Baptist as he sees Jesus coming. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when Jesus said, it is finished, the sin of his people was taken away. It was done. It was gone. It was, it was finished. His finished work is the sole grounds of our being declared righteous by God. This is why Paul can say in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in, listen, we love that verse, but do you realize what the most important two words of that verse is? There is therefore now, that's one, let's say there's three, that's one. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ. That's the only place that salvation is found. And when Jesus said it is finished, it was finished. So we can, we can be saved and we can know that we're saved and I can know it now. And I can stand for you. I want to tell you something, folks. I'm saved. I'm saved. And I want to tell you, if I were to fall dead right now, I can promise you that before my body hits the ground, I'll be bowing at the feet of Christ. Amen. And I know that's going to happen. You know why? not because I'm good, because I'm not. It's not because I'm the greatest preacher, because you all know as well as I do, I'm far from that. 
It's not because I'm the greatest pastor, because I'm not. It's because of Christ. That's it. Just Him. Just Him. So I can know now that I'm saved. And if salvation is by the gift of God apart from human effort, then salvation is certain. If, I grew up in a denomination that taught that you could lose your salvation. And I have since learned that if you can lose it, you will. If you could lose your salvation, you will. Because if I can lose my salvation, Jesus lied when he said it is finished. But he didn't. And if I believe that I can lose my salvation, if I believe I can do something to lose it, then I must believe I can do something to get it. And if that's true, then the other is true. But that's not true. That is not true. But if our salvation is of God from beginning to end, it is sure and unwavering because God himself is sure and unwavering. You know, we as a church, we believe in the doctrines of grace. Total depravity. Unconditional election. Limited atonement. Irresistible grace. The preservation of the saints. We believe God is sovereign over his creation. We believe in the sovereignty of God and salvation. Because you see, in that little acronym, TULIP, it's God from start to finish. I don't have anything to do with it, except for the first part. You know, I, I haven't said this in a while. Let's see if y'all can still remember the quote. We contribute nothing to our salvation except the sin that made it necessary. And that's all we contribute to it. We can know that our salvation is unwavering because the God who gave us the salvation is unwavering. And since God knows the end from the beginning, nothing ever surprises him. Folks, i got to tell you, this is one of the most comforting truths about God I ever learned. Let me tell you why. Since I have been saved, since I've been called to preach, there have been times I have fallen into sin. One time I fell into greatly into sin. And I had people telling me, say, oh, you're, you're, you're done. God will never use you anymore. How could you disappoint God like that? And then someone pointed out to me that if God knows the end from the beginning, that when he saved me, when he called me, he already knew what was going to happen. As somebody else has said, when God saved me, he already factored in my stupidity. Isn't that wonderful? We can be confident with what Paul says in Philippians 1.6, he says, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work, who started the work? God did. That he who began a good work will complete it. Who's going to complete it? God will. That he will complete it. 
So if salvation is by the gift of God, apart from human effort, then human boasting is excluded. And all the glory in salvation goes to God. Verse 27, look down there. Paul says, then what becomes of our boasting? He says, it's excluded by what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Can you imagine what heaven would be like? We get there and you run over to me and say, oh, aren't you glad we're finally in heaven? And I say, I am so glad I made the decision to follow Jesus. I am so glad that I had the wherewithal to do the right thing. Is that what you want to hear me say? When we get to heaven, do you want to hear me talk about me? Do you want to hear anybody talk about anybody except him? That's it, just him. So Paul says, we're supposed to, and, and this is why it's so important we understand the sovereignty of God and salvation. And, and that's where Paul is leading right here. He said, he's already talked about total depravity. Now he's moving into the sovereignty of God. And he says, look, God is the one who took the initiative. God is the one who provided the way. God is the one who provided for us what we couldn't get for ourselves. And none of us would want to be in a heaven populated by people who get there, even in a part, by their own efforts. Because I promise you, I would never stop telling you how wonderful I am. I wouldn't, and you wouldn't either. Salvation is a gift. It is receiving God's righteousness apart from the law, apart from human effort. It is, as Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 9, not by works so that no one will boast. No one in heaven will be praising man. When we get to heaven, you're not going to be walking around bragging and saying, oh, we had a great pastor, great preacher. I know you do that now, but in heaven, you won't be doing that. I want to tell you, when I get to heaven, I'm not going to be saying, oh, what a great man Charles Spurgeon was. Oh, what a great preacher, John MacArthur. I'm not going to care. Only thing I'm going to. And by the way, now there's nothing wrong with acknowledging, you know, people like that. But even now, our focus needs to be on Christ. And I'll promise you, when we get to heaven, it's going to be on Christ. I read, I read a um, thing on Facebook the other day. I really like this. <clears throat> uh, I, it may have been uh, Bodie Bauckham that said this. He says, you know, people say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask all these questions. And he said, they don't realize when they get into the presence of Christ, none of those questions are going to matter. None of them are going to matter. No one in heaven would praise him. Man, in heaven, the glory of God is all we will care about. Soli Deo Gloria. Say that with me. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. And that's where Paul's pointing here in Romans. He's pointing, he, he, he says, look, he said, but now the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God, the righteousness from God has come to us. Not by your human effort, not by your works, but through his son, Jesus Christ. 
And he said, this is a righteousness that is received by faith. We talked this morning in Sunday school in our, our study of worship about faith, about how we worship in faith. Everything we do in the Christian life is by faith. You know, Paul, in another place, he says, as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. Well, how did you receive him? By faith. So how are we to walk in him? By faith. What is faith? That is simply taking God at his word. God says, you're a sinner. And I say, yes, I am. God says, you're totally depraved in your heart. And I say, yes, I am. I believe you, God. You know, that's what confessing means. It means to agree with. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when God says to me, you're a sinner, you're depraved, and I say, yes, Lord, I believe you, I am. And he says, but I have provided a way in my son for you to be saved. And I say, I believe that, God. And so I'm going to trust Christ. I'm going to trust in him. Every step of the way. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever failed God? Every day. Many times, all of us, and I stand here and say, oh, man, Lord, I have just really done it this time. This sin is just too bad for you to forgive. See how ridiculous that sounds. Lord, I have failed to the point to where I know you don't want me anymore. You know what I've done? I've made my salvation based on me. Now, don't get me wrong. When we fail, when we sin, we immediately need to go to God in confession and repentance. But we can never, ever say, Lord, I know you have just sinned too much. I know now that you don't want me. We can never do that. Because then I take the glory away from him and put it on me. Soli Deo Gloria. Thank God it's that way. Listen, this morning's message, you know what I felt when I was preparing this message? I thought, you know, this is a message that goes right along with our Sunday school lesson. Because this message right here, this passage of Paul's right here, should drive us to our knees and worship before God. And say, Lord, thank you. Thank you that my salvation is not based on what I do or don't do. That my salvation is not based on what I say or don't say. My salvation is based on what Jesus Christ has done and what he continues to do today. And Father, you receive all the glory. Let's pray. Father, oh God, we do thank you this morning. Father, we pray. Father, I pray this morning that if there's one listening that has never truly believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, that they would see their sin. They would see the total depravity of their own hearts. And Father, that in faith they might come and believe on Jesus, trusting in His finished work, 
repenting of their sins and trusting Christ for salvation. Oh God, we thank you so much, Lord. We thank you that you, the almighty God, in your sovereignty, chose to redeem a people for your name. Not based on who we are, what we do, but, boast, but based solely upon who you are and what you've done. So, Father, may we this morning learn to walk in faith. To believe in Christ. And, Father, to recognize that trusting and believing in Christ is not just a one-time thing. It's an everyday thing. Trusting in Him for our salvation. Trusting in Him for our life. And, Father, that you alone might receive all the glory. For we ask it in the name of Jesus.